Konnichiwa, my friends. Thanks for tuning in to Master Samurai Tech Radio. This is a podcast for appliance techs, by appliance techs, for our brethren in the craft. Today is September 14th, 2015, and this is Episode 8. We're your hosts, Samurai Appliance Repairman. And Mrs. Samurai. And we are the minds behind MasterSamuraiTech.com and Appliantology.org. The minds and the labor, and we lovingly keep it all running for you. I was going to say masterminds, but I thought maybe that's a, <laughs> pushing it a little. Maybe a bit done, <laughs> but uh, it's actually a big beehive collective mind because it all works, at least Appliantology anyway, with the help of our brethren. That's true. And by brethren, I mean that in the gender and inclusive sense of the word. But you know, we don't no gender confusion here. So, all right. So I just wanted to remind everybody to subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already, or you can also subscribe on Android. Uh, there's a link at the blog post for the podcast that has that link. I forgot wh exactly what the service is, but it is available on Android as well. You can also subscribe on our YouTube channel because we post the podcast episodes there. Yep, and we have a new URL, right? If they want to get directly to where the links are, where they can ah, listen. Ah, yes. And you, so if you ever want to get directly to, thanks for reminding me of that. I forgot all about that. Um, you can go to, to get directly to the posts for the each podcast episode. Just type in nice, handy little URL, mstradio.com, mstradio.com. And that'll take you directly to just all of the posts that are comprised of the podcast episodes. Right, and, and there's links to subscribe on iTunes, right. Android, things Each like that. Each episode has that. It's just like a, in, mm -hmm. it's right there as part of the player. So, And tell your tech friends, you know, when you're at the parts house, tell your friends there as oh, well. Oh, yeah, so. spread the word. All right, so with housekeeping out of the way, let's move on to industry news and trends. What you got for us today, Ms. Samurai? I've got a few little things, and they all have GE as a common thread, interestingly. That's the GE News Hour. Um, a few, I forget, early on, we talked one of the early episodes, we talked about the GE Electrolux merger that is currently in the uh, U.S. federal court system because the U.S. government is saying that that would end all competition in the appliance industry uh, if, our, uh, if they merge our government looking out for us i feel so safe right and this was interesting i just found mm. a news update relatively recently that the latest uh, you know chapter in the saga is that ge and electrolux want to subpoena uh, records from samsung in particular but also lg but samsung's the bigger player um, to help support their case that there would still be adequate competition because Samsung's such a big player and they want to know and apparently got a judge mm -hmm. to approve these subpoenas, wow. all kinds of information about Samsung's... You know, a couple things strike me about that. Uh, just If I could just interject. I mean, a mm -hmm. couple things. First of all, that Samsung's a bigger player than LG. I would have thought they would have been about neck and neck. And second of all, that a judge would actually... Did you get to the part where they re-ruled in favor well, that was that, earlier when we had reported it. This particular article I'm looking at now is... That a judge would rule in favor of this. It, that just is outrageous. Mm -hmm. So if, I, I don't... It's so interfering. I, if I were Samsung, I would definitely appeal. But, you know, it's all about which judge you buy. Yep. And I guess Samsung hasn't bought a better one yet. They got to learn how to play the game. That's how it's played in Amerika. Yeah, because obviously GE and Electrolux are trying to... Uh, get information that will support their contention that there will still be adequate competition in the market mm -hmm. if they merge. 
Um, and Samsung would rather keep their strategies to themselves about how they plan to compete yeah, in the future. Yeah, I would too. It's like, whether or not there's a merger. Playing a big game of poker. You don't so, want to show them to your competitor. So that's that's a little less of a specific appliance industry news. It's more how our government works, and it happens to be you know, affecting some major players in our in the appliance market at the moment. And I'm sure the merger is going to happen if Whirlpool and Maytag were approved. Well, yeah, and we t I think we talked just, about this yeah. in a previous ep few episodes ago. I mean, a much bigger merger, Whirlpool and Maytag. And so, and there was like no, I don't think there was much of a hoopla about that at all. But now here's GE and Electrolux. And oh, now we have to really look at this. Yeah. It still came under scrutiny and there was mm -hmm. still legal action. And, you know, maybe it's just a lot of make work for lawyers and government bureaucrats, but. They love it. It's, it's their employment security. Yep. Well, moving on, mm -hmm. uh, in the midst of all this, GE is not standing still. They spent more than $100 million developing a new line of top-loading washers that uh, were made in their Louisville, Kentucky plant. And this is their largest launch for their laundry business in 20 years. Um, they, this is a quote from them, from GE, saying, while front-load washers have surged in popularity the last decade, the traditional top-load washer is still 75% of sales and remains the most popular style. Um, these enhanced agitator washers, so I don't think they're going to be like those um, no-agitator mm -hmm. HE Where style. they just have the impeller. Right, because people tend to hate those. Although some of the HE washers do have agitators in them. Mm. Um, they don't, I don't know if they work any better because they, the whole idea of an HE washer on a vertical axis just, it just, the, the physics, I don't see the physics working very well. And in fact, they don't. I mean, you don't mm -hmm. get good washability. A lot of customer complaints about that. But people buy them because, oh, the front load washers stink. I heard horror stories about I it. I have which, to bend over to load it. Well, there's, there, there is that. You're right. Um, and that's maybe a little bit more of a legitimate complaint. But smelly washers, 100% user error. Oh, yeah. Um, so these washers will be available very soon. They said by mid-October they'll be in the stores. And they're going to cost in the $600 to $800 range. Mm -hmm. um, Disposable. Which, well, on the verge. It depends. $800, yeah. not so much. $600, closer to disposable. But yeah. what's interesting to me is front loaders are coming down into that price range as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder about investing this much in top loaders. Well, like Sam's, uh, I work at uh, Camp Conison, YMCA camp, but I fix their appliances over there. I, and I know they had to replace one of their washers there. It was, wasn't worth repairing. They uh, troubleshot it. They replaced it with a Samsung front loader from Home Depot. And I don't remember what the exact, uh, uh price they paid was, but it was somewhere in that six to $800 range. And yeah. So, I mean, you can get a, and this is a bottom line Samsung front loader, which is um, still going to be a better washer in terms of washing effectiveness than mm -hmm. any of the HE top loaders. Any front loader is going to wash better than a, than a, than a um, HE top loader. Oh, yeah. It's just the physics. It's just simple physics of how the washing works and close contact time with the water and all that stuff. But anyway, there, there's an example where GE is building something that the market wants. So they're right. building stuff that people can buy, and that's basically why manufacturers are in business. Makes sense. Uh, they they know what people want, and they're trying to give customers what they're going to buy. Right. Well, I'll be interested to see how it plays out because spending a hundred million dollars to tool up to make these things, that's a pretty big investment. They must have some good market research to back that one up. Well, they're crossing their fingers, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> hopefully. So. 
And the last thing, this is more future tech, uh, not not way in the future, but uh, this has to do with ultrasonic drying. Mm. Um, so most of us know about ultrasonic humidifiers. They use high-speed vibrations that turn water into steam. And so a scientist at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee had the idea that you could use that same technology on wet fabric. And so they made a little prototype, which is a, a silver dollar size transducer connected to a battery, and it dries a wet piece of fabric in about 20 seconds. Neither hmm. the fabric nor the transducer get hot, like with oh. a regular dryer. And when things don't have to get hot, then I mean, you really are going to use a lot less energy. Now that's in like. yeah, absolutely. That's interesting because th so this is ultrasonic as opposed to microwave. Mm -hmm. So this is not a microwave with a magnetron and waveguides to direct that microwave energy in the proper places. They're just, they're just using some transducer that's converting electricity into some type of sound. Right. Uh, in the ultrasonic range versus in the microwave range. Yep. So um, GE is going to partner with Oak Ridge National Laboratory and try to get this thing to market. Um, right now, they've got about a four-year uh, estimate of, hmm. of when they could get this to a commercial level. Will it also have a heating element to assist it? It uh, does not say. Because I thought I remember reading uh, another, maybe it was LG, considering using like microwaves along with a regular heating element to assist in the drying of the clothes. I could be wrong on that. But this seems like a much more viable technology. I mean, a microwave with a dryer, please. So yeah. I don't see that working anyway. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm right on that. So it'd be fun to see if this actually plays out. It's cool to, to think about. And again, we, we talk about this. People don't invent new technologies, generally speaking, for the appliance world. But right. you yeah. find technologies that are out there, <clears throat> excuse me, otherwise, and then figure out how to improve the uh, efficiency and performance of appliances with it. Yeah, that's right. So generally what we find in the appliance field, you, they're generally not uh, inventing whole new technologies just for use in appliances. Now, there's even this ultrasonic um, gizmo that GE's doing, that they're, they're taking a tried and true technology and just applying it in a unique way in an appliance situation. So all of the, you think about all the other technologies that were we in the changes that have been put into the appliance or, uh, appliance field. So like variable frequency drive systems, gosh, those have been around for 25, 30 years. Mm, and mm -hmm. um, it's the advent of solid state circuit boards that has made them economically viable to put them into appliances. So cost is usually the restriction, the, the barrier of entry for new technologies coming into uh, appliances. And so yeah, a number of examples like that. But so we, they're usually in appliances, they're taking tried and true technologies, maybe waiting for the cost to come down or doing things to bring the cost down and then putting those into uh, different appliance offerings. Right, which makes sense because mm -hmm. they're trying, you know, they're appealing to the average household uh, consumer. Right. So you can't have incredibly pricey stuff for appliances. That's right. So cost is a big thing. The marketing people figure that out and say, engineers, it's got to come in at this number. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the engineer's job. So, well, good. Anything else on that? Nope. Time All right. to move along. Yeah. So I wanted to move on to the next segment and just talk about appliantology stuff. In particular, I want to talk about appliantology memberships. This question comes up periodically. Um, and some of you, some of you guys listen who are already members. Hopefully, you're finding a lot of value in it. 
you're participating in it, particularly if you're a tech member, you get unlimited downloads, um, access to tech-only forums, lots of other perks and goodies. Today, currently, we have three different types of, actually just two memberships, but three different types of users, mm -hmm. one, two of which are memberships, one of which is not, and that's lurkers, grasshoppers, and professional appliantologists, or some other variant of tech member. Lurkers are obviously people, they're not even registered at the site. They just come by, they maybe they find us from search engine results, whatever, they read and they get help maybe, hopefully, and then they go on. But they never actually register at the site. Grasshoppers are people who come to the site, they actually register, which is free. The grasshopper is completely free. And they can post uh, questions at the site, but they're... Uh, topics and replies always get moderated. They have no access to service manual downloads. They have no access to tech-only forums. They're also restricted in the open forums that they can access. Right. So that's usually like a DIYer who just yeah. is coming in for one specific uh, bit of help. Right. Although I do see a lot of times there's obviously a tech who's coming in. My customer has this, whatever, and the scenario is, but you can tell from the way they frame their topic question, their opening post, that they're, they're a tech, but maybe they're trying it out, whatever. But Right. Well, I meant more that's what a grasshopper is meant, meant for, for or appropriate for is somebody who just needs, they have one broken thing in their house they're trying to figure right. out. Right. Correctilia. And it's completely appropriate for that. They get free <laughs> help, and, and uh, so it's still a good deal. And, but then there's the tech memberships. Some of these are legacy tech memberships and maybe a bit of history, a little historical arc might be in order. Long, long time ago. I've been yep. on the web doing appliance stuff on the web since 1997. And I was, as Samurai Appliance Repair Man, the first appliance repair forum on the web. Back in the back in the easy board days, that site doesn't even exist anymore. It's changed names <laughs> several times. Yeah. But it was just a, a third party hosted forum and then i was at msn groups for a while and i used that and then then they uh went away and stranded all my uh topics and posts there we had a very active community there um in fact it was called the appliantology group uh back ah. back in the msn group days mm -hmm. and then we went to appliance guru uh applianceguru.com is our servicer site but if you go to applianceguru.com slash category one slash you will find the old legacy forums, we call them, at um, Appliance Guru. And that'll be probably a familiar look to a lot of people. A lot of people uh, joined up there and were active there. We had a whole community there, and including a lot of techs. Mm -hmm. And so at first, uh, you know, the, the memberships were all free because it was supported by part sales. Right. Well, since we were such early adopters, we were the first ones in, the, uh, in that mix online offering appliance help and part sales right we basically the tech members were being subsidized by all the part sales right. to diyers because obviously diyers represent a much larger pool of people to draw from right so so yeah part sales uh, were subsidizing the whole operation so and so then we uh, for various reasons, mostly software related the software that was running the forums at appliance guru was no longer being supported by the developer and I needed to get away from that because it was just going to be a stranded thing for no updates, no mobile uh, platform or, or anything like that. And a lot of other features that I wanted. That was in the Envision Board software package. And that's what I created Appliantology.org with and a whole new forum. 
And uh, so using, that's what you see now, right? That's correct. So that's the at appliantology.org, and that's we're running the Envision Board software over there, and it's got a lot of features, just tons of stuff, including a, a mobile view for techs looking at it on their phones. You get a fast loading mobile uh, theme site, and there's blogs, there's downloads that are searchable. I'm just tons of stuff. And when we migrated to the new forums at appliantology.org from the old forums. We, act, we moved the database, existing member database, from the old Appliance Guru forums just as a courtesy to the members and to make it easy for them to make the transition because it was a big change. It was a whole different way of interacting yeah. with the software, a whole different workflow, a whole different way to click, a whole different way to post. Uh, you know, not radically different. It's still a forum, but uh, the button was in a different place. It looked different. You know, there was that kind of thing. But we, so we migrated all of those uh, tech members, grasshoppers alike, everybody, the whole member database, we migrated it over. So we had a lot of what we call legacy members from Appliance Guru. And these were like the chief appliantologists mm -hmm. and things like that from the, and there were, I think, a couple other groups, a scholar uh, of appliantology, a couple of groups like that, that were tech members. And they had paid something small, like five bucks or 40 bucks or something like that. Um, wasn't a whole lot of money, but that was still, as we creeping up, to help subsidize the the diminishing revenue from part sales, which is needed to run the site. And the part sales were going down from, first of all, increasing competition. As I mentioned, I was one of the first ones on there. Mm -hmm. Well, other copycat sites started coming up and doing the same thing. In addition to that, then you had other uh, parts players getting into the game. Yeah, so a lot not, of the big part sales places. Right. Way back then, it was all Repair Clinic is, is who I used. And now at Appliantology, we're using Appliance Parts Pros. But then you had people like eBay coming on, selling generic and used parts. And you had now Amazon's a big player in the parts game. Just tons of, tons of other sites um, in there. So, which is, that's all great. All competition. Yeah. Good thing. That's but it uh, meant we had to change. It meant, exactly. It meant we had to change. And so now, as the part sales have really diminished, it meant that the site needed to be supported in a different way because otherwise there was no way, to, and it takes a lot of money to run this site and a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And that, that time has to be paid for. But it, So it means that the site had to be funded in a different way. And that's what the tech membership does at Appliantology, the current tech memberships. And those are the professional appliantologist uh, memberships at Appliantology, and that's 109 per year, and you get unlimited downloads, full access to all the tech forums, lots of other goodies you can read about at Appliantology. Um, and if you're a Master of Samurai Tech or a Samurai Tech Academy student, mm -hmm. it's only 75 a year. Right, so it's a big discount for them because they're they're a student and they're they're over at Master Samurai Tech, and they're using Appliantology as a support resource, mm -hmm. as a tech support resource, which is its intended use today. All right, but it's not just about money because you could be, uh, say you enroll as a professional appliantologist. You come along and, you know, you'll get help, get your manuals and things like that. But if you're making a thousand instructive posts, helping, answering questions, helping other people out with, uh, or, or somehow contributing content, the rule of thumb, and this isn't hard and fast, but a thousand instructive posts, that is the key. You could become an appliantology fellow. That is free. You have been a significant ah. contributor to the site. You have earned your way into becoming an Appliantology Fellow, and you get unlimited downloads. You get access to all the tech site. You get all the goodies and perks that professional appliantologists get, except you're not having to pay. And so the site is now supported by subscription memberships and content. 
And there's really kind of two kinds of currency that a yep. Plantology runs on. Both valuable. And yes, we have Google ads. Yes, we still do, still do part sales. But the, these are not significant sources of revenue for the site and certainly not enough to operate the site right. in the way it needs to be run on dedicated servers and all that kind of good stuff. So the... Um, I just wanted to bring that out there. This isn't just all about money. And I explain this in more detail at the, uh, there's a blog post at my blog at Applying Ontology. We'll put a link to it on the post for right. this podcast recording, but it's Applying is changing with the times. And it explains this whole, uh, ch these changes at Applying Ontology that have happened over time and why they have changed. And Basically, we've gone, we've gone from, over the arc of the years, from focusing on DIYers and helping them out to now we're squarely focused on supporting the tech community, so supporting our brethren in the craft. Yep. We still allow tech, uh, grasshoppers, DIYers, to uh, register and post and get help. That, that's all well and good. It's just that unless they're going to become a tech member... They're going to have limited access to the site, and I think that's really all they need. They're going oh, to have sure. all the site, they, all the access they want or need. So, okay, I, di I didn't want to talk about that anymore. I just wanted to give a little background on the different memberships at Appliantology because this question comes up from time to right. time. Right, it can it can look a little confusing. So hopefully right. that helps. Right, and we'll post again. We'll post the link to link to my uh, blog post at Appliantology that explains this in greater detail. Ooh, all the detail you want. Mm -hmm. So, um, shifting gears, wanted to go and talk about something that's kind of cool. I don't know if you guys have seen this out there. It says, uh, if, I don't know if you guys do Twitter. Uh, if you're not, if you don't, then you know maybe you want to consider it. I, I've been doing Twitter for years. I'm on Twitter, Twitter.com/slash/FixItNowSamurai. Been doing it for years, but uh, the use of it and the interactivity with Twitter compared to on our Facebook page, mm -hmm. is minimal. Yeah. And um, so I, but I still do it because it's free. Well, the reason I mentioned Twitter be is because there's this sort of related thing that really does seem kind of cool. Oh, it's a fun little app. Is, and we've already played with It's called Periscope. I won't keep you in suspense any longer for that. Periscope. And it is an app you can get on your phone. And it's sort of tied in with Twitter. Right. Do you know how, how does yeah. that work? I, I actually stumbled across this because there's a, a food blogger, a woman who, who does cooking and has a cookbook, and I like her. Mrs. Samurai is a big foodie. Yes, and she mentioned this in her newsletter recently, and what it is is you do have to be following somebody on Twitter. So first of all, you follow this person on Twitter that you're interested in, and then you download the free Periscope app, and it will show you the people you follow on Twitter who also do Periscope, and all you have to do is click a thing to follow them. Now, and, do, do you need Twitter to use Periscope? I'm confused. Yeah, they about are that. connected. Okay. So you have to you have to oh, already do Twitter. You have to log in with a Twitter account in order to use Periscope. Yes. Okay. All right. So anybody who uses apps, you're going to be able to easily figure this out. So don't be intimidated mm -hmm. by it. Um, but what Periscope is is videos, live video feed. So. This woman I follow, this foodie, when she's going to cook some dinner and show it to people in her kitchen, she starts her, the Periscope thing going. And the app then, on her phone. Yes. And then mm -hmm. my phone whistles and I look at it. And, yep. It's, <laughs> and it's it, like that. And it says that she's about to start this and all I have to do is swipe it on and then I can sit there and watch and 
comment. People can do live comments that she's watching and, and they're, responding they're written to. comments, though. So it's not like yeah. this cacophony of voices. Oh, right. no. they're, they're, they're written comments that show up on the screen and scroll up, and people can do love, and you'd see little hearts floating up and stuff. But it's cool because it's impromptu. It's instantaneous. So you need you want to have Twitter so that you can, if for nothing else, and so you could sign in and use Periscope. So, and we're talking about this because, as, as we mentioned, we've downloaded Periscope, and I'm going to start using it. I'm going to start, like, when I'm on service calls or when I come up with something cool and interesting, I'm going to just put it on Periscope video. And, and they, they, you know, they, we're talking, like, short little videos. Maybe it only lasts a few minutes. Maybe it lasts 20 minutes. Depends on what I'm doing. Right. But they're all, like, no notice, in, uh, in, impromptu. Right. Right, right there on and just recording, and then whoever happens to drop in, they drop in. Whoever doesn't, doesn't, and then it, it's over when it's over. Right. Well, and some of you might be thinking, "Oh, but what if I'm in a job and I can't watch it?" They uh -huh. are available at Periscope for 24 hours, so you'll see the notice on your phone that it happened. You know, maybe you won't have seen it live. So 24 hours, and then what happens after that? They get deleted. They can disappear, but we can any if they turn out to be worthwhile, uh -huh. we can put them on YouTube. We can save them, and, and oh, they are downloadable. There's some way to do that. Oh, I haven't figured that's that out yet. Wild. But so it's the, the it's blogger I follow, she does that. Okay, so it's maybe a, a, a little improbable that the at least the first few that I start doing will be worth saving because they'll you know, probably well, have a lot of gas. I know. Well, there's gonna be you open your mouth and pearls. I know pearls just... fall out and pearls and rubies yeah, fall out of my I nose mean, I'm or I mean my mouth. Cleaning and, them up. I know, but actually, I'm thinking more like technical difficulties and shaky camera and all that kind of stuff that people complain about at my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you forgot to do your manicure before oh, pointing to the... <laughs> actually, I had people complain about that. Well, they are pretty gnarly looking, your little cuticles. Some, yeah, get some bag balm, Scott. So, so Periscope. So we want to put that out there so that when you start doing it, maybe we'll have a few followers, al followers already. If they're interested in watching that kind of thing. Yes. All right. Well, this has been a long segment. We're doing a spearmint and doing... Fewer segments, we, uh, fewer breaks. We used to have two breaks. We're going to try to just do one break. Makes for kind of a long segment. Uh, but that's okay because then the next one will come along. It's, I think it's going to be shorter than this one. So eh, We'll see. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break now. Hang right there. We'll be right back. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. All right, my friends, welcome back. So you're listening to Master Samurai Tech Radio. I'm your host, Samurai Appliance Repair Man. Along with Mrs. Samurai. And this is everybody's favorite segment, Tech, Tech Talk. Talk. So I'm working on a new unit to go in the refrigerators course that we offer over at MasterSamuraiTech.com. And, you know, we talk all about compressors and the refrigeration cycle and mm -hmm. troubleshooting the different systems. Well, one of the units, I'm going to add a new unit on 
linear compressors. You know, we currently, we cover split phase compressors very well, and we cover the variable frequency BLDC compressor motors very well, how they work, you know, the inverter-driven compressors. You guys might hear them referred to as that. But I also wanted to cover linear compressors and Aren't linear they pretty new they are new well newish actually that technology has been around for a long time once again yeah well new, new for appliances new for appliances well and actually lg has been using them for a number of years and i they're the only manufacturer i know of that's actually using mm. linear compressors uh, I think they've been using them for a number of years. I don't think they're, but they're not incredibly old uh, in terms of their application in the appliance world. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I wanted to cover it anyway because it's interesting. We cover the split phase compressors and lots of detail and their start devices and all that kind of thing. We cover the BLDC compressors with the uh, inverter drivers and that whole variable frequency drive technology. Uh, how that works very well. But we're going to add something on linear compressors and, of course, their analog linear motors. You know, a lot of times we use the um, term compressor imprecisely. <gasps> wow. <laughs> well, we, but we'll look at that big black ball thing in the back of the refrigerator and we say, that's the compressor. And yeah, it's okay for most purposes. It's okay to, as long as you understand that there are actually two things in there, two distinct things in there. There is a motor, a, an electric motor, that drives the actual mechanical compressor, the thing that actually ah. moves the vapor around. And that's all a compressor is, is a vapor pump. Okay. So there, and I wanted to, there, there are three types of compressor motors that are used in appliances, but there's only two types of compressors. And I thought I'd just give a quick thumbnail overview of what these are. So, so first, in case anybody don't know, you, and you probably already know this, but just for a quick review, three types of compressor motors, split phase, BLDC, and linear. Those are the three types that we're gonna see in appliances today. So, and maybe I should back up just a little bit and, and a basic principle of how motors work. Bottom line, easiest thing is all motors work by two magnetic fields of the same polarity pushing against each other. And the one that's not bolted down moves. That's mm. it. That's the bottom line uh, sentence in how all electric motors work. Now, whether that movement is rotational or whether that movement is back and forth, or what's called linear, uh, then that's just a, a configuration issue and it's uh, for both the motor and the compressor. But, but that's the bottom line. The principle is the same. And, and so when, we, when I say same polarity, I'm talking two north poles or two south poles. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, that's the same thing in electricity. So uh, positive charges repel each other, negative charges repel each other, and opposite charges attract. And magnetism, Opposite poles attract. So yep. electricity, magnetism, two sides of the same coin. So the so now understanding that basic print, and there are different ways that they create that magnetic field. And we, go, we get into this in a lot of detail in mostly the motors module in fundamentals. Right, which I'd say after the electricity um, material that we have, motors is probably where we get the most comments like, whoa, that was really eye-opening and it's helped me to understand this stuff so much better. It's another big skill gap that most techs have. I mean, besides the basic electricity and schematic stuff is this whole idea of motors. I mean, all the different types of motors, how they work, 
And they work in different ways. I mean, yes, it's all uh, magnetic fields of the same polarity pushing on each other, but how those magnetic fields are created is really kind of the distinguishing characteristic among electric motors. And so, for example, in split phase motors, split phase motors are used just in single phase power supplies, 120 volts AC from the wall outlet. Most of your compressors that you'll see in the back, if they just plug into a wall outlet and they're using a start relay, that's a split phase motor. You'll also see split phase motors used in dryers, uh, older dryers, for example, and older washing machines. Anywhere there's a start relay, hmm. they're using a split phase motor, and it's called split phase because there's actually two windings in that motor. Now, you, need, you have the main run winding, and then you have the start winding, and it is wound at a specific geometric angle from that main winding, and it is only engaged to help it start because it, with single-phase power, you don't have a rotating magnetic field. And again, remember the whole principle of motors, two magnetic fields pushing on each other. Well, if one of those fields isn't moving around, you're not going to be able to start the shaft spinning from a dead stop. So what that start winding does, in a split-phase motor specifically I'm talking about, it actually creates like this, oh, if you want to call it bogus phase or phantom phase, that, that is out of phase with the main winding. So it nudges that shaft off. And once it gets spinning, doesn't matter which direction, it doesn't care, it keeps on spinning and it, it'll, it'll rotate. So the, split, the start winding is just there to create that other phase to nudge it because without that you're going to have in a single phase power supply you have 60 hertz right the power is going at 60 times a second it's cycling mm -hmm. well so you go to try to start the motor without the start winding and this is a frequent fail item when the start relay fails and the mo what happens the motor just sits there and hums mm -hmm. what's it doing during that hum that that rotor of that motor is actually sitting there twitching 60 times a second Wow. It looks to us like a hum. So if you were to look at just the motor sh uh, motor and the, its shaft, you wouldn't even see it move. You would just feel the whole thing vibrate. It would get very hot because it's sitting there drawing what's called locked rotor current and unable to start itself off. Now, if you were to grab that shaft and give it a flick, it would start, it would run just fine. And it would keep running great until the next time it, until it stopped and then the next time it needed to start. Then you need to start winding again unless mm. you want to be the guy who sits there and flicks the shaft. And I, personally, I don't want to be a shaft no. flicker. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this like those old-timey cars? They had to crank and get it going, and once it was going, it It's, it's similar. Going. It's similar. I mean, it's it, the it's, general idea. It's it, the same know. idea, except in that case, they're actually starting the internal combustion process. Off. Right, they're moving right. a, a, sh a, sh a piston up a shaft, and it sparks. And once that mechanical motion gets going, but it's the same kind of idea, mm -hmm. but in the electrical world. So, yeah, good, good analogy. So that's, that's, that's split phase. Split phase motors are used um, with regular wall outlet current, uh, 120 volts AC, single phase. So there's no other phase to run it. BLDC motors, brushless DC motors. Um, and these are actually three phase motors. So you've got uh, windings in there for the stator. And you guys have probably seen this. If you worked on an LG washing machine, you pull off this, this can on the back and the thing that makes the whole drum rotate around and you pull it off and you look at it and you see this is dish with magnets all around the inside of it. Mm 
Hmm. Um, well, those magnets are there to get pushed on by the stator, which is creating this rotating magnetic field. Well, how does it do that? How does it create this rotating magnetic field? That's what the whole idea with variable frequency drive. That's what it does. And you've got three phases rotating around at different uh, speeds, different intensities, and mm -hmm. makes that rotor move in either clockwise or counterclockwise. It can do all kinds of tricks with the stator on that thing, with, the, with a microprocessor-controlled inverter using electronic commutation. You can do all kinds of tricks with it, forward, backwards, slow, fast, whatever. So that's a kind of cool technology. But again, you've got two magnetic fields pushing on each other. Um, so it, it, it's, it, that magnetic field in the rotor either has to be induced by the stator or it has to be uh, in the form of a permanent magnet. And these are made out of rare earth minerals imported mm. from China. Ooh. That's where most of the rare earths come from. Fun fact to know and tell. Interesting. Yeah, they're also used like in uh, windmills. They, all, any kind of generator, mm -hmm. you're going to have permanent magnets in there. Uh, most generators. Now, there are not all generators. There are mm -hmm. some that are, uh, they use a different excitation field. But uh, like in windmills, you've got uh, permanent magnets in there using rare earth minerals to for because they are, have that magnetic field. Mm -hmm. And So anyway. So I just want to yeah. insert that if, if you're listening to this and, and it's kind of going over your head a little bit, really consider taking fundamentals because I've gone through this motors unit and with the visuals that are included and of course taking a lot more time to step through this yeah. it makes a lot of sense. I break it all down and then in the refrigerators course too we we go into a bit more detail with split phase compressors because start devices on split phase compressors are one of the most common fail items mm -hmm. so you got to know how to troubleshoot those and you have to know in order to be able to troubleshoot it you have to know what it's for what it does how it works so you have to understand the technology that you're working with if you're going to be able to apply that knowledge to troubleshooting you got to know what's right in order to know what's wrong mm -hmm. okay so we talk about split phase and bldc now here's what everybody's waiting to hear about and that's linear compressors so, and linear motors by, uh, similarly. So you've got, remember, uh, opposing magnetic fields pushing on each other. Well, so now with a linear motor and all that Wait, means... not opposing magnetic fields. Well, they're the same polarity. Same polarity. You are correct. Right. Yes, thank you for <clears throat> correcting me on that. You've got uh, magnetic fields of the same polarity pushing on each other. That same exact principle applies in linear motors, but with a different geometry. So now, instead of the uh, compressor shaft rotating around, and that's the two types of motor configurations that we talked about, now it goes back and forth, like a piston. And that's why it's called linear, because the engineers thought that was a much cooler sounding name than just calling it a back and forth compressor, <laughs> or back and forth motor. It is. <laughs> linear is better. Yeah, I mean, it sounds all techy and stuff. But so, and it's the same kind of deal. So you've got this magnetic field in the stator that's wrapped around this uh, piston that has a magnetic field in it, either with a permanent magnet or it's separately induced. You can do it a number of different ways, but most of the time there's a permanent magnet in there. And that magnetic field in the stator pushes on the piston or the shaft. Now the shaft moves up as it's compressing gas and like refrigerant vapor, and as it's doing that, that compressed gas is like a spring. It, in fact, it has a spring constant to it. That's how they design these things. It has a spring, and, it's, and it pushes back with some type of force. They, the engineers calculate all this stuff out, and it pushes the shaft mm -hmm. back 
towards the very back, along with a little help from the stator. But at the very back of the cylinder, there's a spring, an actual mechanical spring this time. And it is precisely measured to have the exact amount of, exert the exact amount of force on the shaft to make it uh, push it forward again and begin the cycle all over again. And there's some resonant frequency that they figured all this stuff out. This is all, you know, mechanical mm-hmm. engineering design. Okay. So the, the, the voltage that's supplied to the stator in a linear compressor motor is a single phase voltage. So in other words, it's not three phases like in a BLDC motor, the type mm-hmm. of compressor that is used in your traditional inverter driver. It is a single phase voltage, but it is it can vary in frequency or it can vary in amplitude. And frequency means they can make it something other than 60 hertz. They can make it 120 or whatever, and there's some range on it that LG uses. They can also vary the amplitude, so it's not just 120. It can be really something really low to adjust the amount of force based oh. on the type of refri- refrigeration uh, capacity they're doing. Now, LG does they uh, use two different types of inverters with these inverter motors. One is a constant amplitude but variable frequency, and the other is a constant frequency but variable amplitude, and they have little acronyms for them. So, but they're not varying both things uh, at the same time. I, I guess there's no need to, or from an engineering standpoint, it wouldn't work. I don't know. But it, it, the interesting comparison, that's kind of a quick thumbnail view of the uh, of linear compressor mm-hmm. motors. Interesting comparison and contrast with how you would test these electrically. So, you know, like with split phase motors, you can test the main winding. You can, you can ohm for ohms, check the resistance, check the resistance of the start winding. And then you can check the resistance of uh, all three together. You got three uh, terminals sticking out there. By the way, all three of these compressors, whether they're using a split phase or a BLDC motor or a linear motor, are going to have the traditional familiar three studs sticking out on the compressor. So in a split phase, you can measure the resistances between the three and you can determine which is the start winding and which is the run winding, right? The start winding is going to have higher resistance. And then you can Mm -hmm. find out which one is common. And you can hotwire a split phase compressor to test it. You can use a little button and and hook it right up to household power, use a button for the start winding. And then once it gets going, let up on the button so the start winding doesn't stay in and burn itself out and then see if the compressor will run. Mm -hmm. Um, Just running normal household power. You try that with a BLDC motor and you're going to burn it out. Why? Because you're, you've got three windings in a BLDC motor. So, and you're going to hook it up, hook up your hot wire to just one of those wind, uh, you know, two of the studs. In other words, just one of those windings. There's a winding connected between each of those posts on the compressor. Mm-hmm. So you hook up your line uh, power supply, your, your 120 volt power supply from your outlet up to one of the, two of those terminals. In other words, one of those windings. And you try to start it. Well, now it's not going to start. It's going to sit there and do that 60 hertz hum, but now there's no overload in that circuit to protect it. And Uh. so if you you keep that on there very long, I mean, it just takes a few seconds and boom, you're going to to burn out that winding. Whole new compressor time. So you can't hotwire a BLDC motor because it's using a three-phase power supply. However, what's cool though, with a linear motor, you can hotwire them. Oh. 
Yeah, it's using regular AC, and so mm -hmm. you plug it right into wall power. And, you know, if it's not locked up or anything, it'll start running. I wouldn't run it very long. You hear it hum, immediately disconnect power because mm -hmm. um, there's no overload, once again. Uh, the overload is it back at the inverter. So uh, you can be careful, but you, this is a way to pot in a linear uh, compressor situation to positively test the compressor. Now, remember I said that every compressor has three stand posts on it, split phase BLDC linear, the traditional three stand posts arranged like a triangle. In a split phase compressor, all three are used. Two of them are for the start winding, two of them are for the main winding. In a BLDC compressor, all three posts are used because you got three different windings in there. In a linear compressor, you'll still have those three posts, but only two of them are used. Why just two? Well, you've only got one winding, so you don't have a uh, start winding like in a split phase. You don't have two other windings like in a BLDC motor. You've just got the one winding and one power source, single phase power source. So you don't need that, th that third post, even though it's there. And that's probably just a manufacturing convenience because they have a lot of these cases around. So it's just not connected to anything. So you've got to look, just look at the tech sheet and it will tell you which two are live or you can measure it with your meter. Um, one of them is just not going to go anywhere. You measure between uh, the three of them. Two of them will give you some resistance, which will be the, the resistance of that stator winding. And then if you measure between the, you know, the third one to the other two, it's not going to give you anything. It's just going to be open. That's normal. So don't sweat the load. So when you're hot wiring it, you just uh, connect up to the two posts that hook up to the stator winding and you're good to go. So how did that turn out? Well, that was some techie tech talk. Too much. I don't know if that's uh, too much. If I get a little detailed, some, some guys were telling me it kind of went off the rails with some of the stuff we talk about in tech talk. Maybe it gets a little eye-crossy. I don't know. But hopefully it's just a quick overview, quick thumbnail sketch, as much as you can do on audio. Right, uh, right. Explaining and how these things work would be a whole lot easier with diagrams and stuff like that. So those of you who are refrigerators students... Uh, at Samurai Tech Academy. We will be releasing this, well, I don't know how soon, but pretty soon. Yeah, we're working on it now. Keep an eye out on the newsletters, and we'll also give it a mention on the podcast right. uh, when that unit is unveiled. Right, it'll be a new unit that'll be added to the refrigerators course, uh, and it'll have like a screencast with visuals and stuff on it. and You know, the, the same kind of thing you're used to in the course mm -hmm. as it is um, with, a, with the video and the screencast and explaining all of this stuff and so it'll be a new unit it'll show up when you log in it'll show up as a as an unworked unit that you right. haven't done so you'll know right away when it's there uh, where it is you'll be able to find it easily you know once we announce that it's out there you know just go log in uh look at the refrigerator's course you'll go oh i haven't done this one yet and it'll show up right mm -hmm. away for you so okay if you've got a tech tip or a war story or some kind of techie thing you want to hear us talk about uh, shoot us a message. You can comment at the, on the YouTube channel or at our, at our blog at uh, mstblog.info. Use our contact forms at either of our websites. Right. Anything. Yep. So, and just let us know. We're always looking for suggestions. We want to talk about the kind of stuff you guys want to hear about. Exactly. So, oh, and I, I want to shift gears now. Now we're going to go away from tech talk. We're going to do business talk. Yep. We're going to talk some business. And this is um, kind of... Uh, this is shady business. Yeah, this is... Sh that's right. This is shady business. This is a combination of 
business talk and just basic computer smarts when it comes to being aware of th- people who are out to get you. Mm-hmm. That's what we'd be talking about. People out to get you. And they're out there. Yeah. And so a couple things. First of all, in the realm of email, everybody's familiar with the email spoofing and the Nigerian scams and all that type of stuff. But man, I'll tell you, they are getting sneaky with some of this stuff. And I'm not talking, I don't know who's behind it, but I got an email because I, I do Samsung warranty work. So I have access to GSPN and I get a bunch of emails from Samsung. Um, I got an email that looked very official and it, they well, mimicked the look of, but what something was out of it. So there's no, no like uh, blatant grammatical errors that uh, clued me off, but it said, you know, please, it was kind of a strange request though. Cause it said, please log into your account to verify your provisioning. Hmm. which is a weird word. I've never heard Samsung. What is, what is provisioning? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, who knows what that is? And, and then they had the link. And it looked like the real link to Samsung. It was gspn3.samsung, blah, 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 other stuff, and, you know, .com. It looked a lot, like, looked exactly like the URL, but I knew something was wrong with it because at, they didn't sign off with all of the Samsung uh, logos and stuff oh, like that, okay. and, and the ton of the contact information. And Samsung's got really long footers. Any any email you get from them that's official, it's gonna have all this tons of info in their footers. This didn't have any of that. It was way too clean and compact for a, for oh. an official Samsung email. So I I knew something was up, and I looked at the URL, studied it real carefully. It looked exactly like the official Samsung GSPN URL, except. One character was off. Sneaky. You know, instead of Samsung Portal CS, it was Samsung Portal ECS and some other stuff after. Oh it. wow! Wow, I mean, it was really good. So uh, I and then so I copied it into that URL into my browser and I opened it in a separate tab. Went to the that uh, fake malicious website for the, these fishers and it's called phishing. P H I S. Uh, H-I-N-G. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, phishing. And so it, they're, they're, it's social engineering. It's a way of trying to get you to give up your information, be, your login information, because when you go to this URL, this bogus URL, you are presented with a login screen that looks identical to the Samsung login Ooh. screen at the official site. I mean, perfect. Down even down to the footer uh, where it's got their thought or T-H-A-W-T-E. It's a website verification mm-hmm. uh, badge. They've got that down there. One little difference. And this is what <clears throat> finally clued me off. If At the official Samsung site, the GSPN site I'm talking about, lower right-hand corner, you'll see this little thought, or I don't know how you pronounce it, T-H-A-W-T. It's a little emblem, little badge down there, low in the, like the footer bar, r- lower right-hand side. And if you click it, it opens a new t- uh, window and you get the lowdown on the security site. So it's basically a way of assuring you that this is the authentic site. This is the real deal. Okay. On the bogus Samsung site, you see the exact same thing, including that little thought symbol, T-H-A-W-T-E, at the bottom, lower right-hand side. But when you click it, nothing happens or it just reloads oh, that same page. Okay. It doesn't actually go over there. Because there's a security thing, um, that thoughty thing, knows where it's coming from. So it's only going to give you that window if it's coming from the verified IP address of the website that it's saying is the real deal. So this, the spoofer site, the phishing site, didn't even bother linking over there. They just had it reload the page. It was some bogus little mm-hmm. um, HTML thing. 
So just want to put a heads up out there for people, whether you do Samsung warranty or not, uh, any site. Oh, this site. could happen with any, you know, one yep. of your utility companies that you pay bills online or who yep. knows what. It is pernicious. I mean, this yep. was a really good job. And so you got to watch out. You got to really inspect things. If you, there's anything about the email that you get that, duh, this doesn't seem right. Why is this different from most of the emails I get from them? Uh, then you got to suspect something. You, yep. you know, you got to you got to at least do your due diligence and check it out. Attention to detail. Mm -hmm. It's we all about, about detail. That a lot. Yeah. We do, we do. In fact, as techs, I mean, that's what we should be doing a lot. Our lives are all about details. And here's one example of applying that attention to detail uh, to even your emails and your computer habits, and even as we're going to talk about here in just a second, the phone calls that you get. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I got a phone call the other day. So. We had a booth. We were exhibitors at ASTI, the Annual Service Training Institute, right. last year in New Orleans, or the, the, earlier this year. Put on and by the United Servicers Association. Yeah. yeah. And the the next one is coming up in February in Miami. And I got a phone call, and this woman said that she was calling for ASTI, that uh, the exhibitors' block of rooms was almost sold out, and we needed to go ahead and reserve ours. And was very friendly and well spoken, and very uh, you know had this urgency like you're gonna lose out. A good story. I mean, yeah. it, it was it sounded very convincing. Well, it turns out, long story short, you know, because first of all, they've we, they've only started opening registration for ASTI. We weren't signed up yet. We're going. We're going to. We're going to exhibit again. Um, they've never called us in the past with something like this. There weren't anything like exhibitors' blocks of rooms. But I was getting nervous. Like, oh no, are we going to miss out on something? But then, you know, I calmed down because, for one thing, we make it a rule of thumb: you never give your credit card information out to somebody who has called you. Right. That if you, you don't call know. them, that's that's one thing. But if somebody calls you. And they're right. asking for your credit card information. It doesn't matter, even if it is legitimate. You don't you don't give it to them. Right. So we put the brakes on it and said, "What? What's your company's name again?" There was something else though that, that was oh, a yeah. giveaway. Some remember in that conversation with them, there was something else. The other tactic they did that was a really the uh, the other big clue for me besides them wanting a credit card was the pressure. Mm -hmm. The high pressure tag. Oh, you better hurry now. Well, we only have these rooms available for another week. When somebody starts doing that, it's like, uh-uh, nothing's that urgent. Right. And so, so we, right. I, we got I, their phone number. And I don't make decisions based on pressure. Right. Under Except pressure. when I pressured you. Oh, yeah. Then, then, then so make know. an honest woman of me or else. <laughs> Anyway, um, so so we got the company name and phone number and said, we'll just call you back. Um, and I looked into it, and it turns out this Googled is, them. You just Googled their I name. I did. Yeah. Uh, national, oh, I should have written it down. I don't have it. National Travel something or another. Well, United Services sent out an email with all of their stuff on right. it. Right. If you're a USA member, you would have heard about this right. by now. But there are several companies that do this. They are legitimate in the sense that they actually will make hotel room reservations for you and they they prey on people who attend uh conferences of various types based out of nevada mm -hmm. and you, you will get an actual room in the place where you expect to but you will pay a whole lot more because mm -hmm. they they not only are not giving you the special rate that you will get when you are part of a, an organization um but NTS. they also nts i'm sorry that was it just came national travel service i thought it was nta like association See? or something. I knew I'd bring it out of you. 
<laughs> I wasn't going to say it if I wasn't sure. Okay. Anyway, uh, but they don't. That doesn't matter so much because there's at least one or two others. Yeah, that there, do there's this. other actors in this field, but but they'll th also charge like a a per reservation sixty buck or so. You end up paying a lot and you can't get your money back. So no, because it is they are legitimately booking the room. So there's right. really nothing you can do. And you were you know you gave them your credit card. They called you, you gave the credit card. They actually booked the room for you. But hey, they got a little little yeah, spiff. Yeah, they're they're lying but in a clever way so they're yeah. just insinuating that they're officially related you to can't even your call your you can't even call your credit card company and get the payment reversed because it was a legitimate charge yeah uh, legally speaking and i think you could cancel the hotel room but the fee that they made for doing it for you they keep mm -hmm. so so again you got to keep your spidey senses uh spidey senses tingling yep Pay attention to them and never get about your information online or over the phone if things don't smell right. Nothing's that urgent. So this is basic business sense. Yep. Got to be smart in today's world. People are clever. They're always looking ways to, looking for ways to make a buck without actually offering anything in return. Or they're looking for ways to get information. It's just The Samsung mm -hmm. thing still baffles me. How did they know I was a Samsung? I don't know if they sent this out. Maybe they just sent it out to all well, appliance and just assume that some of them were going to be Samsung. No, I, I think they must have gotten a list. Just like, how did they know that I was I was the name? On, you know, when I signed us up to be exhibitors at Asti last year. And what would they get? So that so what if they did get my login information for GSPN? That's that's really what they were after. They were after to capture my login information. What would they get out of that? Oh, they might have been saying they need some payment information or bank record. Who knows what they would have actually asked for had you followed through the process? Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, people have all these different agendas out there but anyway um we're gonna we didn't we're not gonna do tool talk uh this this week well because we are really yeah, pushing the we, limits we i really, think this will be our longest episode yet well i hope not but we went long again sorry you guys if it uh was a bit much but yeah we'll do tool, tool talk next week yeah mm -hmm. so yeah i've got a couple good things to talk about there with you next week and um for now we're just going to go ahead and sign off. I want to remind you to subscribe to us on iTunes or, or our YouTube channel yeah. to uh, review us on iTunes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got a really nice review by someone on iTunes. Oh, yeah. So it'd be great, great if thanks. more. Right. If more of you could do that, then iTunes will start promoting, promoting our um, podcast more. Yeah. Which would so, be awesome. And I think Android, I don't know if Android has a similar thing. But anyway, um, appreciate you guys doing that. And. Uh, helping spread the word and, and just thanks for tuning in and listening too and uh, again give us a, your comments suggestions topic suggestions whatever so and and um well this is it i guess that's it so all right all until right. next time it's sayonara <laughs>